So I think I'll just give like a little bit of a, I'll just give a couple thoughts on my text that I wrote about Andrew's, this new work by Andrew and about a previous work that Andrew made called After Touch, a film, and then I'll pass it off to Andrew and we'll just sort of have a, a back and forth conversation about, about the work. Um, Andrew, when Andrew asked me to write about this work, um, he was in the process of making the work, which is on the video monitor around the corner, but he had recently made another work called After Touch. Um, and as with this work, After Touch deals with this sort of online fetish community uh, of people who buy like really expensive training gear and then spend uh, a lot of time basically kind of uh, involving themselves in it in ways that are highly sort of unorthodox and destructive. Um, and for me it was really, really interesting to see this work because they're, they're obviously these are like fetish objects, like commodity fetish objects. And I thought it was really interesting in, in the art world where we deal so much with the, the sort of object as this highly powerful, like quasi-magical sort of object to see these people who are essentially consumers um, dealing with these, mat these fetish objects in the sense of sneakers and clothing outside of the art gallery. Um, in a different way. I mean, these objects seem to have as much power over the people that buy them and, and wear them every day as art objects do for like contemporary artists and critics and curators and stuff. Um, so anyways, I got into it through there, that, and I think there's all sorts of interesting content there that we can kind of like talk about um, as we go along. But maybe, can you just introduce us, Andrew, to how you came to like know about these, these people? I, I guess it's To Kill Sneakers. Yes. And maybe give us like kind of like set the scene for us, like walk us into your kind of what turned into like almost a collaboration with them, even though you're still in this director position. Yes, yes. Um, well, as as you say, I was uh, sorry. Am I speaking too loud? Is this fine? Okay. Um, so I was I was working um, with this other video uh, after touch, um, and the way I got into it is basically I've just been uh, doing a lot of research looking at these uh, online communities, these videos that you can find on YouTube uh, of these fetishes and, um, and it's kind of random the way I got into it but, but uh, I found a lot of interesting material uh, that I wanted to kind of put into to my own work and, and, and it is kind of specifically with this uh, fetish around the material that I found so interesting in the way that they they kind of uh, handle the material, the way that they destroy the, the material in their, in their videos, which I found like both uh, very odd, of course weird, but also um, interesting and maybe at times also very gentle and poetic and they have like their own uh, techniques that, that, that they utilize uh, making these videos. And, uh, and, uh, and and I, the way that I was working with it was that I was just sampling the material. I was just downloading it and then trying to re-edit it and, and, and tell a story at the same time, uh, combining different narratives. Um, but there was this one specific kind of image that, that was kind of stuck, that just stuck with me after I had finished the video work uh, with Aftertouch. And that was, there was this, this, this guy that's just stomping in, uh, in cake with his Nikes. Uh, which is just such a weird thing to, to do, but, uh, but uh, that kind of made me want to kind of uh, specifically focus 
on, on the sneaker. And, um, and then uh, doing more research, I was also talking with a lot of people in, in, uh, in these communities and then, uh, and then I came across this website uh, called tokillsneakers.fr. Um, a French website where there's this uh, fetishist uh, that destroys sneakers but what you can do, uh, the, the website is down now, but at the time what you could do was you could send him your sneakers and then he would destroy them for you and videotape it um, and send you back the, the video material and I thought that was such a nice way to maybe make work uh, uh, definitely appealing to maybe my lazy side that I didn't actually have to do anything. I could just uh, send him some shoes and then, and then I would have video material that I could show in a completely different context, which is, of course, the art uh, context. Um, uh, but uh, I did that and it wasn't quite what I wanted still. So um, and just come and talking with him and in conversation uh, is a is a. It, it was very, um, it was very nice to talk to him. Uh, it was, uh, he was very open f uh, uh, towards my ideas, and I was very kind of straightforward with my intention with his with this material. And he found it very interesting. And then we found out that okay, I'm I'm going to do something. We're going to do something together. So. So then I flew to, to, to Paris to meet him with a cinematographer and, and then we, we found location and we did it kind of as a proper video shoot. Uh, and that's the material that you see there. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess there's a few things to kind of follow up with. I mean, for me there's like, there's a number of points of really interesting conflict in this work. I mean, and already just talking to a couple people before the talk started, some like, you know, conflicted feelings naturally come up about like what it means to destroy an extremely sort of luxurious uh, pair of sneakers, which, um, you know, cost a lot of money and a lot of labor goes into them, obviously, and we all know like all too well about the economics of this kind of sneaker production. So there's that. Um, and then there's also, there's some sort of issue about, it seems like a lot of, it's, it can be very masculine, like there's a lot of uh, male, or like a lot of the performers are, are men, mm. and, um, and it has to do with dis, like destruction, so there's an element of violence going on. Um, so it would be interesting to maybe talk about that a mm. little bit as well. Mm. Um, I guess just, I, I feel like maybe I should just give like a couple sentences describing Aftertouch. Yes. So people sort of know what we're, we're talking about. So um, basically, Aftertouch was a, uh, a montage <laughs> film of yeah, different scenes of people destroying these sneakers, or, or not even, I mean, destroying them, but sometimes kind of like, what would you say, um, defiling them yeah. in like using like the cake or like sitting in a restroom covering them, slathering themselves in, in like liquid soap or something like that, mm -hmm. or rolling around in mud. So you had taken these scenes and then you would like intercut them with um, scenes of meteors, mm. meteorites flaring through the sky, mm. um, uh, and these race car drivers mm. who are also wearing these really sort of shimmering, like iridescent, latexy looking yeah. costumes. Mm. And I think there's a man with one of these sort of aluminum uh, suits walking by this volcano, kind of with this aluminum suit protecting him from the, the heat of the magma. Mm. So it almost seems like you're. Um, 
you're sort of like situating these, these uh, the sports gear and giving it some sort of like a cosmic uh, function or something, like a spacesuit or something like mm. that, like something that could take you like beyond beyond the bounds of the planet Earth. Yeah. Is this is that, am I just totally overinterpreting that, or is that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think uh, no. I don't think you're overinterpreting that. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, the work was. Uh, it was partly about these fetishes, but also partly about uh, an incident that happened in, in uh, Russia in 2013. It was. Uh, there was this uh, meteorite that came into to the atmosphere and uh, and exploded over Chelyabinsk in in Russia. Um, uh, it wasn't that uh, my interest is not particularly in, in the meteorite or in the asteroid, but it was more in the video material that surfaced after that uh, after that crash. Uh, it was kind of the first time uh, that uh, that an event like that had been so well documented with uh, mobile uh, cameras. And uh, whilst I was doing aftertouch, I was also downloading and, and sampling a lot of material, everything I could find. From, from that crash and with the intention of using it in, in a video work. So those two just kind of spliced together uh, pretty uh, seamlessly like that. So, so it's a way to try to combine these different, very different narratives, uh, but still I feel that they touch each other on different uh, subjects, yeah. Yeah, for sure, and that, I mean, um the splicing together of these different, yeah, so like if you imagine the work in your head, I mean, you can watch it, I think it's possible to even yeah. view it online as well, but you can, just for the sake of right now, you can imagine these really, really, um, like your your original footage is very like high, high definition and almost slick, and then when it's put together with these, um, it's anyways, it's put together with these found YouTube, this found YouTube footage, which is home video, as you say, um, and so that in, just in terms of the way you work as like a director or a montagist, yeah. there's something really interesting in that juxtaposition of mm. this kind of like <coughs> slick HD quality picture mm. and this substantially rougher picture. Grainy is not, I don't think grainy is quite the word to use because grainy I associate more with like old film stock or something. Mm. But I'd like to maybe linger on that for a second because when we were having dinner the other day, we started talking about nostalgia. Mm. I mean, I, I had kind of had forgotten about this, mm. but you had specific feelings about nostalgia mm. and how you kind of maybe work with or against nostalgia. Mm. Mm. And it seems like those different qualities of film sort of yeah. play into that. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I think the, the, the conversation you were referencing, we were talking about uh, photography as uh, as being inherently nostalgic. You take a photograph, it's immediately in the past. Um, and, and to me, uh, that is something that I kind of resent in, in photography. Um, I, I find it very problematic that we're always being very, like if that photographic works are always very nostalgic. And especially uh, photographs, uh, photographers sometimes also use nostalgia as this kind of a, a strategy or they use it as, as something of a theme in their work and, and I, I want my work to be very much kind of fight nostalgia or be against nostalgia. So I'm always interested in kind of new images and how new images are produced and of course the majority of images are not produced by video artists or film directors or any type of kind of high quality cinematic uh, um, uh, producers of, 
the video, but, but there, it's from seller to seller, cell phone cameras and kind of these home video cameras and stuff like that. So I'm always looking at, at kind of what, 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 is, uh, what is out there uh, that has been produced not, not for film and not for art, but how can I use that? Uh, language that is not nostalgic, that's the immediate, that's the new. Yes. Yeah. Do you think about, I have sort of another question following that, but just since, just to throw another one, do you think about futurism ever? Um, <laughs> like this thing about, about, uh, oh, what's this weird sound? No, but I mean, there's this thing about, I mean, it's interesting, like, how to deal with nostalgia. I mean, nostalgia, and I, I definitely agree, like, nostalgia is a big um, question, anyways, not necessarily, yeah, that, that photography has to, it seems that photography has to kind of reckon with, and, um, but on the other hand, you know, it seems like a lot of advertising is, is well, it plays with nostalgia in a weird way, and you're kind of, I guess, trying to get inside of that and put us inside of our relationship to nostalgia in some kind of a way. And there's a, it seems to me that there's a political intonation, or there's a political function to that decision or something like that, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, but I wanted to come back to the, the question of pleasure um, and, like, pleasure's relationship to criticality, um, which sounds really abstract to say, but you could also just talk about it in really simple terms, <coughs> or, uh, I guess, um, in terms of like this people that you're dealing with who, who are um, doing the shoe destruction as a fetish. <laughs> I think I remember asking you the first time we spoke on Skype, like what is their position in it? Because for me, as somebody who's kind of like a, trained in contemporary art or whatever. I mean, like, I don't, know how, I don't know how it was for you in your school, but for me, it always came, like, my training in contemporary art always came down to, and this might be a really Vancouver thing, I'm from Vancouver, it might be geographically specific, but it always came down to, like, how is it being critical? Like, how is it being critical of some kind of, like, contemporary ideology or our relationship to fetish commodities? Like, how is the work being critical? That was always kind of the bottom line. But these guys, these guys that are doing this aren't so concerned aren't so concerned with that, I don't think. So did you have any kind of a conflict or a conversation about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the uh, Laurent uh, is not uh, preoccupied with the kind of politics around destroying sneakers at all. He's, uh, he does this for, for sexual pleasures, sexual joy. So, but of course, for me, I wanted to, 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 to me, my approach is completely different. You know, it's not necessarily that uh, political. Of course, there, there are these political aspects. Uh, we could say, like, okay, if we just follow the storyline of these, these shoes, they are produced in these uh, low-wage countries, uh, and what we could say probably is like modern-day slavery conditions, or you know, and then. Uh, and then through advertisement, they reach this status and this value in, in the West, and then uh, in the art world, uh, I can destroy them and give them another value. So okay, you have that storyline, but but uh, but it's not necessarily something that that I uh, want to kind of preach or anything like that. Um, but we did discuss that uh, me and, and to kill sneakers uh, 
and for him, he thought that was also an interesting aspect of it. But, but uh, first and foremost, it's it's uh, a, a piece that is about the the, the pleasure and the destruction, uh, desire and destruction. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so. Um, I mean, it's 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 incredibly interesting to have to meet people who have sexual relationships with with objects. Mm -hmm. I mean, and all but through this sort of like. Not in the not in the conventional way that you would normally have sex. I mean, like it's through a, it's a relationship of like just covering your 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 body in a material or something mm. like that. I mean, this is like totally fascinating um, for me uh, and bizarre. No, <laughs> but of course it's also kind of like true. Isn't it? I mean, like it's in in a way it's totally weird, but in a way it's totally like uh, it for me it just sort of extrapolates the relationship that. A lot of people have to fetish hmm. objects, and I guess one of the other reasons why I was so interesting, interested in writing about your work is that I really do remember the physiological response hmm. to a new pair of sneakers. Hmm. Um, I guess I still have it, but as a kid, I like if I would get a new pair of basketball sneakers, I mean, they would like go on the when I went to sleep at night, like they, I would like put them out and put them like on the dresser, mm. and then like wake up in the morning and like see them, and then like they, they have it's like a presence in the room. It's like a, it's actually like a physical mm. presence in the room. Like the thing seems almost to have a soul. Like it soothes mm. you in a certain. Anyways, mm. yeah, I don't think I don't think I'm that crazy. I think that's a sort of a common thing <laughs> for little kids. I mean, right? Like when you get your shoes. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. So for for me also, I think. Uh, well, I'm. I'm I'm pretty interested in the kind of sneaker culture, I would say, uh, and to me, uh, like seeing this, uh, I also get that that same kind of feeling where you know, where it's destroying a brand new pair of sneakers, something kind of it just hits me in a in an unpleasant way, uh, which is why I like it. But uh, but yeah, I also kind of grew up on on with with sneaker. This is a culture and basketball shoes, and you know. I, I had the Jordan uh, 8s and I had the Jordan 12s and you know when I see them here in Holland now you know it's very nostalgic for me and it's also um, yeah it's it's just something that I find very very interesting uh, the, the whole sneaker culture and how it's uh, how it's uh, connected to to certain movements or music or political movements and so forth and great um, can you talk about well, for the for the After Touch film, you worked with a writer mm. to produce a a, narr a, mm. a narrative, basically mm. like a, a voiceover mm. monologue, mm. which is something I forgot to mention uh, in in my initial description of that piece, After Touch. Mm. But it sort of intones the it gives the work a certain it doesn't tell a story so much, but it does something. Yeah. Can you can you sort of describe to us a little bit what that um, what that monologue was and maybe. Who, who made it for you and kind of what, you know, what yeah. you guys, yeah? Yeah, it's, uh, it was written together with uh, Federica Boetti, it's an Italian writer. Um, so, yeah, so I was working uh, with all this file material and, and, uh, and I wanted also to include, uh, this is another kind of, uh, it's not a fetish as, uh, at all, but it's this, uh, what do you say, this phenomenon that's uh, also on YouTube uh, with these people that uh, they make videos of themselves uh, uh, where they just whisper into the microphone and, and it's called ASMR and it means and stands for Auditory Meridian Sensory Response 
which basically is that uh, through the audio you get a physical sensation which is kind of a tingling in your neck or like the hairs kind of stand up uh, on your back. It's this little, I don't know, very, very tactile, uh, gentle way of talking into the microphone or making like sounds into the microphone. Um, and it has a huge following. There's like uh, there's a lot of clips of it, and there's a lot of people that's interested in it and that's uh, playing it and, and making these videos. And, and I was just very interested in in, in the sound uh, being kind of uh, triggering some physical response. Um, so so I wanted to have a voice over a story that was being told with that type of voice. Uh, and as I was working with these celestial bodies, these uh, meteorites um, uh, and the Shilabinsk incident, we, we wrote kind of a story that's around that uh, incident. Uh, but it's told in this, in this uh, very uh, gentle, uh, whispering voice all through. So, yeah, so again, it's just kind of combining different narratives that I'm working at uh, at the specific time. This kind of like really soothing sort of uh, whispering voice. Yeah, it's, it's really, really um, effective. Mm -hmm. It feels like it could almost like lull you to sleep or sort of comfort. Is that what people use this for? I mean, yeah, I, I think so. It's for people who find it soothing, find it very comfortable and relaxing. Yeah. But the kind of the story that is being told is, of course, a, a, about an asteroid that is going towards Earth. So you have like this very catastrophic. Uh, uh, story or image, but it's being told in the gentlest, gentlest uh, way that it possibly can. So there, there is this juxtaposition or this contrast about uh, uh, between what is being said and the way it's being said. Right, right, okay, yeah. The, the, the sort of <clears throat> cataclysm that is sort of being called out or foreshadowed and, and, how, and how there's the viewers kind of being lulled to sleep in a sense at the same time. I want to get back to these, I mean, I was really interested in these specific scenes in Aftertouch, which feature, um, at least, there's one that features fencers, mm -hmm. and there's one that features, uh, basically, I think they're Greco-Roman mm -hmm. wrestlers, mm -hmm. and the Aftertouch film opens in this, with this really um, arresting shot mm -hmm. of these two f people with fencing masks, um, and they're doing, they're breathing in sync, like huff, 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 breathing in sync. And then instead of fencing, they kind of get into this, they start almost dancing, but it's a really, really strange dance. It's like they're sort of interlocking their bodies and moving together in unison. And then the same thing kind of happens with these Greco-Roman wrestlers, these two guys who are training in a gym together. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it until now, but it strikes me that these sneakers obviously are elements in, in, in the performance of public life, mm -hmm. and as well as the sort of outfits. They're mm -hmm. sort of these um, costumes through which people can become actors, just in sort of day, day not actors, sorry, that's the wrong word, uh, I need to rephrase that. They can become sort of these entities other than themselves in day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. So there's this aspect of performativity that cycles through. But can you talk about what you were, what you were thinking when you were getting these, are they dancers that were doing, that, that were wearing the fencing masks? Yeah, did you yeah the, the dancers from the National uh, Contemporary Company in, in Norway, Top yeah. Launch. Um, 
Yeah, so, so going back to, to the fencing sh uh, suits, it was also kind of, it came from the, uh, from, from the YouTube material where I was uh, very interested in all the track suits that they were wearing. And, and in these clips that, that uh, we're talking about, uh, you never see the faces of the, of the people that uh, are in the videos. So you always have these bodies without, without, face, uh, without the faces. And, um, and then I thought, thought about like uh, the defensing suits were so appropriate for that because then I could use um, use some some uh, performers without showing their faces uh, as well. Um, and um, and yeah, so so it's a little bit like like with this with this video here with the Lesbian Parish video is that. Uh, I was stealing material and I was reappropriating and I, and I was using it to, to kind of make, make my own material but it didn't feel quite satisfying to me. I wanted to make something myself because I'm, I have a background in film and, and video and, you know, and I, I, want, I wanted to make my own material so, so I used kind of the movements of these people that are rolling around in mud and these people that are kind of destroying their tracksuits or whatever they're doing but we use that as kind of a starting point for making that choreography uh, when I was working with these dancers. Uh, and, and then an extension of kind of the tracksuit is the sports aesthetic and then it became uh, the, the, the fencing suits. And I thought the, the fencing is interesting because uh, in, in, in uh, martial arts sports there's always contact. You know, in contact sports uh, there's contact but with the fencers they never have contact, they only use the, the what do you call it? The, the sword. The sword. Um, but I thought just as an interesting kind of take on it, we just take away the swords and then break that, that the distance and then they go really close. So they are wrestling and they are kind of dancing or they are kind of, they're interlocking somehow, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, it's, it's really effective, um, for me anyways, to, I mean, it's, yeah, they're dancing, and I mean, and, and it's not only dance, but a kind of intimate dance and a, and a really unexpected form of intimacy, whether it's a, it really blurs the lines between it and something that's violent and something that is, that they, that they're almost moving in unison as if they were one person or something. It's, mm -hmm. it's beautiful, but it's, it has this kind of tension in it. Um, I like that you, while we, while we still have some time, yeah, I like that you, you brought up your, your training, like your background a little bit mm -hmm. in photography and film. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I first started researching your work, I I thought that Mike Leckie might be a press oh, <laughs> I thought that Mike Leckie might be a president for you. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, Mark Leckie and Mike Leckie. I combined Mike Kelly and Mark Leckie. Yeah, yeah. I thought that Mark Leckie might be a president for you president mm -hmm. for you. Um, mm -hmm. And in particular, this work called Fiorucci Made Me Hardcore, mm. which um, was in the recent PS1 yes. exhibitions. And what's interesting to me about, one of the things that inter that's so interesting to me about Mark Leckie is that apropos like the relationship between pleasure and criticality, mm. he, he is an artist who really goes for like total immersion mm. in his subject matter. Like he doesn't want to have the distance of criticality. He wants to like actually. He has, he's very invested in objects. He wants to like get inside them. Yes. But that early work, Fiorucci made me hardcore. Mm. 
was about these um, young kids called Casuals that went around uh, London in the in the I guess eighties, um, wearing like expensive Italian gear like Fiorucci and other things. Mm. Um, in order to, I mean, but I, th I think they were like working class kids, basically, and they somehow got a hold of this really expensive gear, and it was a way of kind of like, I mean, I don't know, elevating their self-confidence, making them into like, themselves into superheroes in some way. Yeah, I think, I think the, the story behind uh, the British kids with uh, Italian clothes is that uh, you have these casuals, uh, which are actually football supporters, and they, they would travel to Italy. Uh, to watch football and fight, and then they would, uh, they would be fighting in, in Italy where you had all these fans, uh, fancy fashion stores, and they, they would smash the windows and steal the clothes and come back to, to Britain <laughs> in fancy uh, Italian fashion clothes. Uh, so, so that's also a story that's kind of amazing uh, yeah, in, that in his work. Uh, that I, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. incredible. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing easy about it. Mm. Because you, because for me, it's like I, you know, the first thing I go to when I see that work is this question about class, and this is something also that's in your work because mm -hmm. it, often these scenes seem to be taking place like in the suburbs or something, especially in after, mm -hmm. in after touch. And so, um, in the Mark Lecky work, um, yeah, there's nothing easy about it for me because it's something like I do think there's a, a class element to like putting on these uniforms to kind of like elevate yourself in public space and like maybe even protect yourself, but at the same time, there's this element of of violence, mm -hmm. um, but what can you talk about your your influences a little bit? Like, um, what kind of artists were you looking at when you were studying that kind of really stuck have gone into your head in that in that like um, special way or whatever? Yeah, the, uh, I mostly I would say I mostly um, uh, I'm mostly influenced by film, uh, and I've always worked with film. I've always worked with video material and, and film material, but. Uh, maybe especially for these pieces, I was looking at some uh, some uh, Lucas Mordison, a Swedish uh, uh, director. He has a film called Container, uh, where you also have this kind of voiceover and these uh, um, a lot of a lot of weird objects that that uh, two characters in the film use throughout the film. So they they might be just lying in bed and there's like just a million things in the bed that's just like not meant for for that area. Or um, yeah, and, and also with, with the voiceover that it has kind of this poetic soft touch, but what what you're seeing is something that's on on the border to be a very uh, violent and it's very disturbing. So um, yeah, definitely looking a lot uh, at the container, but also Mark Lecky as you mentioned, and, and recently I've uh, seen a lot of Cyprien Gaillard. Um, he has a, I can't remember the name of the work, but, but he also has this one video where you have these uh, Crips, members of uh, Crips, the, the Crips gang, uh, that are kind of dancing, Crip walking, and in, in, uh, it's a place where they made these fake uh, um, uh, pyramids. I can't remember the name of the group. Ziggurats, maybe, or something yeah, like yeah. that. And um, he also is very good at kind of using this kind of low culture, or, yeah. Um, but yeah, and and also very concerned with destruction. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that work. I saw that work um, a few years ago. I remember I just sort of stumbled upon it at a museum in mm -hmm. Germany. It's funny that you 
you bring it up. I mean, it's very, yeah, like you say, it's these, it's the, it's these guys who are, I guess, crips, and they have, and they have the, band, the gang bandanas and stuff on, but they're dancing. I mean, they're doing like a crip walk or something, yeah. basically, in these ruins. Yeah, in these ruins. And well, yeah, well, well, of course, um, his work is about memory and decay, and it's also subjects that I'm very interested in, that, that, that I try to also utilize in my own work. So, yeah. Great. Um, I think, um, what else was I going to... Yeah, I mean, that really ties into the, the sort of issue of, of masculinity and social circumstance and, and, and mm. that sort of, I mean, that, that Cyprian guard work, that kind of like seems like it feeds into your, into these core, core yeah. themes in, in what you're doing. Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah I tend to, to make videos with men about, uh, I don't know, violence and, and sex, I think, which are interests of mine. Sure. Um, yeah. So. Well, there's things that are, that have to be dealt with, right? You know, yeah. In, in, in some way. Mm. Um, themes that kind of like, uh, in any case, like you know, straight men have to, in some way, kind of engage with and, and see if we can kind of get inside these sort of, in my opinion, anyways, mm. get inside these sort of dynamics of like hetero-masculine kind of self-expression and mm. violence and mm. um, but it's super interesting to me that you, you you're kind of cutting into that in a way and bringing dance into it mm. and stuff and it reminds me a little bit of early in a weird way of like early Matthew Barney um, mm. works and stuff like that mm. in a is better work like early work I think it's important but maybe we can uh, open it up Definitely a little bit. Does anybody have any questions for Andrew or myself? Anything that's totally, anything, you take issue with anything? Or any, anything at all? <laughs> okay, well, yeah. Um, I'm curious if you think of like finding, taking found footage and re-platforming it and redirecting it as a form of cultural, cultural appropriation or not. Um, yeah, uh, well, definitely it is. Uh, definitely I'm taking something, I'm appropriating it, I'm reframing it, I'm restructuring it, I'm representing it. And, and I don't, I, don't I, I like to use the word steal because that's what I do. So, um, so I steal it and then I use it for my own uh, purpose and my own, uh, uh, what do you say, when you capitalize upon it. Um, so, yes. <laughs> and you take that as a, I mean, you own that. Yes, yes. I literally figured out you own it. Well, yeah, I, I just like, um, I don't know, I've had this discussion uh, many times and it's just my attitude towards it is that if you, if you borrow something, okay, it's, it's just a way of phrasing it, okay? Say you borrow something, then you have to give it back. If you steal it, you can do what you want with it. So, uh, that's my approach to it. <laughs> it's good to be straight up. <laughs> do you have a feeling about it? Yeah, I mean, uh, in general, I support like using whatever you want from the world, Seems like there's you sort of found it and are recontextualizing it specifically for the gallery. So just reusing the found footage is making something for a gallery, which seems like a maybe more intense 
like shift than someone like Michael E. Smith, who has used like sneaker fetish videos, but just like use them as a pound object specifically. Mm -hmm. like, no other yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think um, I think I understand what you mean. Um, well, of course, there, there is a moral aspect to it, uh, and I'm also just saying like, that I stated it and like, trying to be cool about it. But, but the thing is that uh, with, with this video, it's a collaboration with, uh, yeah. with uh, To Kill Sneaker, so, so yeah. So that's something that we found out together how to do it, and, and, and it's very much in his uh, possession as well. Uh, the video is actually on his website. So, uh, and uh, not for the art gallery, but for a completely different purpose. So, um, it's unedited, or it's the same edit. So, basically, we have the same material that's uh, being used in two different uh, spheres, two different worlds, for two different purposes. Here, uh, as we are seeing it, it's for, for the art public, but the way he uses it is, he uses it is for his public, which is uh, for, for the fetishistic, uh, for fetish uh, community, for sexual You mentioned that you set the sneakers to him and you quite like the way he destroyed them all. So why did you like what he did with it and how did you end up coming to a place where both of you could co like get to a point where you liked it? Um, it was, uh, it was, to me it was maybe mostly my curiosity that I wanted to see him do it, I wanted to be present and I wanted to control it. As a, as a director, what you do is that you control uh, the image. Um, so, so that's definitely something that, that was the reason that I wanted to make the video myself. I wanted to control the situation and I wanted to control the image. Uh, but there's also something of, um, uh, also from film, for filmmaking, you have something of a story structure, even though the film is the videos are very basic, they're very simple. There is something of a structure. And that's something that I felt was lacking in the material that I, I was first getting. And that's the reason, yeah. Also a reason why I went and shot it myself. Versus the fragile, uh, sensitive, um, 
pathetic uh, figure. Yes. Yeah, I just, I kind of just wanted to add a little bit to that because I do agree that it was a little bit, <laughs> because I do agree that, that we sort of brushed over it a little bit and I guess um, that was one of the, um, yeah, I really responded that to that aspect of your work as well because, um, you know, like growing, like growing up as a, as a sort of like a heterosexual, you know, young man in North America, whatever you're, you're taught to like form yourself uh, in specific ways and, and uh, at least the culture that I came from, I'm from Canada, and you're rewarded for a specific kind of toxic behavior, yeah? So I think it's important to study that and get inside of it a little, in, in a way. And, but I think that Andrew put it a lot better, but that's, that would be my response as well. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that uh, today that uh, I, um, I grew up with, with boxing. I, I, uh, I'm a boxer myself, I compete, I've trained all my life. Uh, and when I was growing up, one of my uh, heroes was uh, Oscar de la Hoya. Uh, he's Mexican-American uh, uh, boxer. And, and, and he, was like the, he was the biggest, hugest uh, boxing star throughout the 90s and early 2000s. And then I remember at some point, uh, when I was still, I was young, and then these pictures surfed, and, and of course boxing is this ultra-hetero-masculine uh, fighting sports, you know. Uh, but then these images of Oscar de la Hoya wearing women's uh, garments, like undergarments, surfaced. Uh, and I found that so interesting, like how his character became something completely else. Uh, just overnight through, through those images. And of course, in, in the boxing community, that was uh, something of uh, a big scandal, but, but it's not so, uh, I don't know, it's not so weird uh, necessarily. But I just, uh, that just really opened, uh, opened up my head uh, at a young age. <laughs> No, do you mean that the, the digital medium allows you to express yeah. that in a certain, like would allow a man or whoever it is to express that kind of layered, sub, is that what you're saying? That yeah. layered subjectivity in yeah. kind of a different way? Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. I think. Maybe, yeah, it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hey. Hey, I'm glad I made it. So I was curious to know how these two work sort of set you up for investigations or projects that you yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. I'm, I'm working on different stuff, uh, OSM, but, um, but more, yeah, specifically, like, I didn't want to do like another shoe artwork, you know, I didn't want to become the shoe guy, but now I'm, I'm making another shoe artwork uh, <laughs> as we speak, and it was, uh, it was kind of coincidentally, but but uh, I, I was doing some research on these cults, uh, and there's this specific cult that's called the Heaven's Gate, that was a very famous cult in the States during the 70s and 80s, uh, and up until the 90s, and then, it, and they also, uh, there's also this aspect of kind of UFOs and these celestial things that 
that is kind of things that I've used in works earlier. Uh, but the thing that uh, interested me was that uh, there's, they committed a mass suicide in uh, 97, but all of them were wearing these same type of Nike, black Nike decade shoes. And, and, you know, and then these images surfaced of, you know, they were all lying in bed and they had like these blankets over themselves and like the shoes were just sticking out. So you have like these very horrific, very strong images uh, that, that was kind of the starting point of that project. But, uh, but what I think is interesting is also how kind of Nike, the, once the, the, these images surfaced, they, they stopped producing those shoes. And now, of course, these shoes are something of very rare collectibles uh, that, that's priced at like these astronomical sums. And, and to me, it's just interesting how kind of like media scandal creates uh, something of very real economical value in something as stupid as a shoe. Um, so, so I've gotten a hand of those shoes, and then I'm going to probably mass produce them. But, uh, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and sell them. You got trademark on, on the idea. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, um, that's, that's what I'm working on now. Yeah. I just wanted to add that uh, first, when you started working with this video, uh, the first showing here, the idea was to present these at the Milano Art Fair. Then we were talking a lot about the similarity between an artwork and a limited edition sneaker that we didn't maybe talk about today, but we might talk about them together. Um, yeah, and how strong that is here, especially in the States, um, where people collect shoes and don't use them necessarily. Yeah, yeah. And how collection within the art and collection within the sneaker, how it would be specifically to show this work in an art fair setting. Mm. Now it's here, it's commercial galleries, but uh, the Orgrande and Residencia and the Vigabria and Monty, but uh, in the art fair, that context will also change how we see the videos, where they are being destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's an interesting uh, aspect, like the economical aspects of, of, uh, of the work, uh, how, how the same material travels and changes uh, value depending on context. Uh, yeah. I remember when my dad visited New York for the first time. We went to all sorts of museums, and he, he had a good time. He had a nice enough time at the museum. But then when he saw the sneaker shop on Broadway, right, right near the Strand, right near Union Square, like the famous sneaker shop with all the big wall of saran wrap sneakers, I mean, like I couldn't get him out of there with his camera. It <laughs> so it's like, yeah, but it's interesting how things shift value depending on context. Mm. Yeah, and it's globalizing as well, like in everything, like in, in Germany it's become a big thing as well, where I live now, you know. Does anybody else uh, have any, any last comments before we hopefully have a beer and hang out for a little while? No? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for coming. Yeah. Yeah.